Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi, everyone. This is Rohit from Rice and Mastery. And I'm excited to have Daniel Lee, who's the CEO of Marble. Marble helps property owners manage the properties from afar, and the platform handles rent collection and maintains in addition to remote showing, showings, collecting $50 per unit per month, significantly undercutting competitors' pricing. Daniel is an alum of University of Washington, Washington and had earlier work for Facebook. A big thanks to Aaron Michael from 1984 Ventures for the introduction. Welcome to Shodin. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So, uh, uh, so you you had a you know great start. You uh, you worked in Facebook, uh, but you know what what made you get into this world of startups, and why did you want to start with Marble? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think you know uh, going through college or high school when I first started programming uh, early in high school and middle school, um, it was always a lot of fun, uh, but. Uh, halfway through high school is when this period where uh, tech really started to become a focal point um, in in the world, and everybody wanted to get into uh, you know these big tech companies uh, as a status symbol. So I think I started riding that train, but um, I always had that kernel of kind of an itch uh, of wanting to do something on my own. Uh, the internet is just so freeing in that uh, anybody anywhere in the world can do whatever they want, um, and so. Uh, you know, I had a great time at Facebook. I learned a ton, um, you know, uh, a part of the, the messenger team, um, you know, scaling to billions of messages a day is, is not something you really get to experience anywhere else. Um, but then after a couple of years, uh, me and one of my close college friends uh, decided to go on our own journey. Um, and uh, when we were kind of throwing around ideas and introspecting um, what type of ideas to try to kind of uh, approach, um, we had this crazy story where uh, in the home that we lived in during college, uh, the roof started leaking okay. and it took our, it took our property manager 18 months to fix it. Um, and the entire time we're like threatening legal action and they just don't reply to our emails. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, when, when we were like discussing ideas, there has to be something here, right? Uh, th this is a, a terrible experience for, uh, you know, one of the prime customers and a, the, a big a huge share of your wallet spend uh throughout your entire life um and so that that's kind of how we got started down this journey um and that was a uh, quite a couple of years ago now um so yeah interesting you know i i was a on deck fellow which was a company started by eric torrenberg who's also vc at village global and he he said that you know the uh you know, starting in a in a in a uh, in Ivy League uh, college or university is a status signal to to you know job seekers. But he said you 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 can work in a big company for a couple of years, but then you should drop out. And and I think that's something which which you did. You know, you you have that uh, you know signal in in your resume that you work for a, for a great company, and then you dropped out. But in the hindsight, you know, what, what do you think, especially with a lot of uh, I mean, stories coming out for the people who, who are getting fired from big companies. Uh, what advice would you give to graduates of 2023? Should they work in a startup or do you think they should work in a big company uh, and then maybe branch out or starting their own thing or working in a startup? Yeah, I mean, um, looking back, you know, we, we've uh, been very lucky and fortunate in our startup journey that we've like built incredible relationships and, you know, um, uh, gone through, uh, you know, 
got, kind of gotten accolades that also build signal. Um, but you know, right out of college, you don't have very much signal. Engineering is uh, unique in that um, you can kind of test for it relatively easily. You know, during engineering interviews. Um, so it's a. Uh, but I would say, like in terms of uh, how applicable my experience at Facebook was, it's very, very minimal to the startup world. Um, if anything, it's kind of uh, unproductive. There's a lot of things you have to learn, uh, unlearn, and things that you took for granted at big companies. Um, and so. If your genuine passion and you, your genuine kind of goal is to create something on your own, like I wouldn't stress out too much about trying to find a, a, a nice and cushy job at a big company. Um, but not everybody wants to, you know, work 100 hours a week <laughs> and uh, for very little pay. Um, but if you do have this kind of kernel of ambition to, you know, try to push the push the universe and see if it can push back, um, I would suggest like uh, just just going for it um, and. Uh, something that I've I, I undervalued um, during my time at Facebook and in college is like if you're gen uh, if you're passionate about something and you show that like you're willing to put it out there and uh, put everything on the table, people are really willing to help you. Mm. Um, I thought I would be all alone, but you know, even like cold emailing these uh, you know very big execs, they'll, they'll they'll respond if you just show that you know you have passion and you want to do something interesting. Mm. Got hmm, interesting. And yeah, uh, you, you know, coming back to, to Marble, you know, um, <clears throat> and you know, it's like a chicken and egg situation. You know, what comes first? Does the supply come first or, or demand? Um, so in our case, uh, supply definitely came first. Um, uh, in the US, uh, there's already a, a decent amount of uh, property listing sites for rentals. Uh, you can kind of feel like, like the original like Craigslist. Um, and then you have Zillow and Zumper and, you know, but it's interesting in that none of them have a majority market share. Uh, they're kind of like Titans battling out. Um, so we, we started on the supply side, kind of just cold calling owners, uh, seeing if they had problems with, uh, their property manager and trying to get them to, you know, give us a shot. Um, we used to, you know, drive out me and my co-founder, Dan used to drive out to all of our new customers and you know shake their hands uh, and uh you know they, they were always blown away that they were only paying us 50 dollars a month <laughs> for this amazing service uh interesting and uh you know i, I was fortunate to uh, to be part of SaaS companies as well as marketplaces in, in at a very early stage you know but how did you get your first 10 10 you know landlords and you know what were some of the uh, you know, unscalable things or scalable things or hacky things you did to uh, get to your, you know, you know, those numbers. Yeah. I mean, it was a blend of a lot of different things. Uh, you know, the easy ones of uh, performance marketing uh, did, did uh, a decent amount of things in the beginning. Uh, we would like cold call listings on like Zillow. Uh, prop rental properties are unique in that like the owner puts their phone number, right? So, so there's kind of no, no question of like whether or not this is the owner's phone number. So you just pick up the phone and call them. It's like, are you, are you using a property manager? Are you enjoying them? Um, and so we, we got leads that way. Um, and, you know, of course, like writing blogs, building tooling um, and kind of just word of mouth as well for our existing, from our existing customers. Mm, got it. Yeah. No, it reminded of my days at Hiber, uh, which was, uh, which is a UK based marketplace where, yeah, we would reach out with spare room and open range, which are, you know, the equivalents of the Zillows. <laughs> and yeah. you just add the phone numbers of the landlords, they just call them up. So yeah, it reminds exactly. me of those days. 
And, and you know, I wanted to understand how much inventory do you do you own, and you know, which are the markets that you started off with, and are you currently present in? Yeah, so um, we're at uh, around 800 units under management across the country. Um, uh, of course, one of uh, our original market of Seattle is still one of our uh, biggest ones, uh, but we kind of see uh, interesting things happening in the, the Texas Triangle, right? So Austin, Dallas, um, Houston, that's uh, just been a really hot real estate market the past two, three years. Um, you know, Florida, Atlanta, Georgia, uh, parts of California uh, are the big ones that come up uh, in my head. Got it. And uh, and so, you know, looks like if you have 800 units, you are at an, an error of close to half a million dollars, right? Um, and, uh, you, you know, you, you do help out uh, the, the landlords, but uh, and where you just, just charge $50. So what are, what are some things which a landlord, you know, can, can get in those $50 from you? Yeah, um, uh, we, we kind of bucketed into three main categories. Um, the first one is uh, our end-to-end leasing engine. Uh, the second one is 24-7 maintenance. Um, and uh, the third one is rent collection. Um, and going through those, uh, the, the more the most interesting one is the, the end-to-end leasing engine. Uh, essentially, uh, when you need to find a, a tenant, uh, you order a smart lock from us. And then when you put this smart lock onto the door, uh, we're actually able to generate uh, one-time use codes without Wi-Fi, right? So it's done over Bluetooth. Um, and so essentially we'll post your listing out to Zillow, you know, uh, Zumper, Trulia, Hotpads, a, a bunch of other different ones. Um, the leads will come in, they'll ask our system questions. Um, and the interesting thing about these questions is that uh, the vast majority of them can be automated. Um, and so we're able to just classify them and, and give the answer um, almost immediately back to the, the inquirer. And then when they're ready, uh, they find a time to schedule a tour, and then we actually verify their ID. Uh, so using some of the uh, technology that a lot of banks have built out for uh, KYC, um, we do a facial scan, we scan your government-issued ID, um, and then you get a one-hour passcode to enter the home and uh, take a tour. Um, and then it's you know one click after that, you submit an application, um, and then uh, it goes into lease signing and deposit and move in. Um, so that's kind of this end to uh, this like uh, almost completely automated leasing solution that we have. Um, so we've turned uh, finding a tenant into a software problem, essentially. Um, 24 seven maintenance uh, is definitely sometimes a bit hairier. Uh, we have a 24 seven operation center uh, that, you know, is able to take calls at 3 a.m. if the pipe bursts um, and we work with owners, uh, you're able to set kind of maintenance limits in terms of how much you want to spend uh, without any uh, auto approval and things like that. Um, and then the last one is rent collection. Uh, pretty standard. We do electronic ACH rent. Um, we actually are able to uh, accept money orders and things like that as well. So kind of the more antiquated methods, we, we have mechanisms to digitize those um, and things like that. Mm, got interesting. And uh, you, you talked about automating the process. So, uh, so do you have AI and ML engineers who are trying to help you out or have you outsourced the, the process? Um, how, how are you trying to solve it? Um, so we kind of think of, uh, you know, machine learning and all these new advances as just kind of different tools in a tool belt. Um, so some, some of the tools that we use are built in-house and then other like other ones that aren't feasible to build in-house. Like we use kind of OpenAI's GPT-3 sometimes and things oh. like that. 
Um, so, um, but we, we do like to prefer things that are built in-house because we do have a lot of data now uh, internally uh, that allows us to ref really refine these uh, models. Um, and they're kind of just expensive to refine if you don't own the actual model itself. Got it. And, and you also talked about 24-7 support. Is it, are you using AIML to solve this problem or do you, do you actually have humans, you know, who are responding to those calls at 3 a.m.? <laughs> so for the maintenance, yes, we do have humans. Uh, we haven't yet gotten to the point where we can uh, have a, a kind of an automated agent uh, yeah. talking over the phone. Though there have been some impressive demos that I've seen from startups, um, but I, I don't think the technology is quite there yet in terms of latency and just processing power. Um, so yeah, we, we definitely have a, a actual human staff for the maintenance side. Got it. And 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 Daniel, uh, you know, uh, I've worked in early stage startups, and uh, I think what makes startups different is execution. But how important is the speed of execution versus the quality? You know, what, 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 what and you know, uh, how do you think speed of execution is more important than the quality? Um, I think quality. Uh, I like to think of it as like uh, the thing that we're trying to optimize is speed on the six month time horizon, right? So when there is a degradation in quality that causes a uh, decrease in speed on the six month time horizon, then like uh, that's not good, right? But at the very end of the day, it is speed that matters. Um, and I like to say kind of that time horizon in terms of just like trying to rationalize when to pay off tech debt and when not to. Um, we, we definitely, you know, Speed is really the only thing that startups have over uh, incumbents. Um, and uh, if you don't have that, you don't have any advantage over incumbents um, and bigger companies. And so uh, you really just have to lean into it. And like there will be bugs, um, but there's also you, you can also be really quick at discovering and fixing bugs. Um, uh, maybe this just comes from my time at Facebook where, you know, everyone's just screaming, move fast and break things. Um, but I, I just know that like there are there, there are kind of processes and uh, mechanisms you can use to actually scale speed. And I've kind of seen them uh, at the other side. And so I definitely want to kind of inject that uh, into our startups culture as well. Mm, got it. And, um, and, and do you think at times you need to go slow to ensure, you know, uh, th things are perfect? Like when, when do you think, uh, you know, which department would you think should focus on quality? Like, speed sales or product or design like, whom do you think couldn't get more impacted if you know quality is not there yeah so um I, I think like one of the things that um we know uh that needs quality is when there's a very long feedback cycle to like when things will go wrong um like uh, if you have a, a feature say uh, like you're changing the uh, some of the the marketing, the content on the landing page, and you know precisely, very quickly, whether or not it's good or bad, like you can kind of fire from the hip and be fast there. Um, but for example, if we're changing some of our models for uh, how to respond to certain types of questions that don't show up very often, um, the if you push a change that's like uh, regressive in that area, it might take a week or two or four weeks to really show up in the, the data. Um, and so then you really do have to kind of um, measure twice and cut once um, to make sure that you aren't just wasting months of time on this feedback cycle. Mm, 
Got it. And um, uh, and how do you think about you know focus and and prioritization? Since you know you you raised a seed round, you may 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 be looking at uh, the the next round of funding. But how do you how do you ensure that you know you you're focused? Yeah, I think about this a lot. Um, we're kind of interesting in that our type of product uh, is like kind of three products bundled in one. Um, and so there's we're definitely more spread thin than kind of the average startup. Um, so uh, in terms of just focus, I just focus very heavily on the customer's problem and how big of a pain point it is uh, for that customer um, at any given point in time. Um, and I think, I think like uh, where we've fallen down in terms of losing focus is when we start to increase the scope of the customer or kind of change the customer persona or be like, oh, this person also could be an interesting customer, but that's kind of different than our core customer. That's when we've kind of lost sight of focus and started to build products that don't really matter for our core customer. So that's kind of how I view focus is more focusing in on a very, very specific type of persona uh, that you're trying to serve. Mm, got it. And, um, uh, you know, um, you've been able to, to build build a good brand. Uh, what are some of, some of the single big, biggest mistakes founders make when you, when they focus on branding, you know, what, what, what have you learned when it comes to uh, the brand? Um. I think the reason why you do something resonates a lot with people. Um, people really don't like it from what my experience is like when you just want to build something to like make some money. Um, I think like uh, we're, we're interesting in that like uh, our company was founded on this desire to like change how people rent and live in their home. Um, and I, I was surprised by how much that resonated with owners as well. Uh, that like there was this intuition that if you have uh, a, an amazing experience for your renters, you can also make more money financially on the owner side that I never really had to explain. Um, and most of our customers just intuitively understand. Um, and I think that was like a big, big learning for me is that like people really, um, in, uh, especially for a startup and when you start using a startup's product, you're not really using the product for what it is today, but what it could be and what it could mean in the future a lot of the times. Um, and so like, yeah, we have to solve our customers and what they do today, but uh, it can be a lot more rough than I imagined because they see the progress and why we're building what we're building. Got it. And, um, and, and do you think, you know, uh, people can hate your branding, even if it is good, like, uh, if you you're not focusing on on the right persona, do you think uh, you need to be very clear on your on your branding, or do you think you you can be generic and uh, and build something with people? Really um, yeah, uh, that, that's an interesting question. Um, I think I think you definitely have to tailor your marketing to a specific persona in mind. Um, we definitely like run experiments trying to show mar different types of marketing to different types of personas and things like that uh, based on, you know, detected ways of how they found out about us and things like that. Um, but in general, I think like uh, marketing just has to, from uh, the sense that I get is like uh, that from our experience, um, the a startup's 
funnel is just like so small and usually pretty concentrated, especially if your funnel comes from word of mouth growth, mm -hmm. any incremental person will probably look like the last person. And so like really being able to focus in and like, you know, uh, one of the tricks that uh, I used was just asking our owners how they would describe our product in their own words. Uh -huh. And then we kind of just push that uh, as marketing. And that really helps get this flywheel going. Yes. Um, I'm sure when, you know, that that well plateaus, then it's like another exercise of like, how do you expand the marketing different verticals? Um, but if you see some semblance of the marketing working, I would just double down on it um, until it kind of stops working. Oh, okay, got it. Interesting, and uh, and obviously, you know, when when you're small, you 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 got to focus and concentrate. But when do you think you you can expand your marketing efforts and and you know and go wide? Uh, do you think after you raise your seed round, you've been able to expand, or are you still focused on on the key channels? Um, I mean, we, we definitely test out other channels, um, but we know like the ones that work and then we know the ones that like kind of, you know, uh, long-term will probably be there. Um, in, in terms of kind of expanding the different types of personas, uh, the interesting thing for us is like, uh, it kind of gets dragged out of us. Um, they're, they're just like owners that come to us, um, asking if we support a certain thing that is outside of our core persona. Uh, a common one actually is like student housing. Um, we we typically just tell them like that this isn't well supported. You know, uh, there there are a lot of uh, you know it, it, operational playbooks that haven't been written uh, on our side, uh, and just kind of put that out there. And like if they still want to use us, you know, so be it. Um, and then maybe that develops into another persona. Um, but we just kind of let it be very organic because we're still relatively focused on our core persona right now that we know works. Um, but I, I think like uh, there's a general theme of like this emergent phenomenon where like people start using your product in ways that aren't intended originally. I think that's very important to pay attention to uh, because there's, uh, you know, act, a decent amount of activation energy there. And so when you see that, it typically means that they have a pants on fire problem as well. Got it. And um and, and you know, I, I want to talk about about team, right? So, uh, and I've asked this question a few times as founders. But I want to, wanted to take understand your take because you know you move from uh, from a very early stage and you've raised pre seed and seed. Uh, do you think you should hire a a B player or uh, and then get an A player, or should you wait for an A player so that you know you always have a, a great team? in the beginning? Um, I'm a believer that like, uh, it, you, you definitely, we, we definitely waited for eight players. Um, like we, th there were some very, very rough months where, you know, uh, we did not have enough people operationally. Um, and so we were kind of, everything was on fire. Um, but I think like B players will work for a couple of months and then like, they kind of start fading off. And then especially if you start giving them higher responsibilities, the, the kind of culture starts to disseminate and uh, it, it's something that kind of eats you from the inside. Um, and so uh, I think like finding A players that are dedicated to your mission and believe in what you're doing is incredibly important. And like, if you find one person like that, that's worth, you know, three, four, five B players um, because of just how much leverage they can have. Oh, got it, got it. And yeah, 
and you know uh, what is your thoughts on you know building that safety uh, net for your employees so that they can uh, you know openly uh, discuss and debate with you without feeling that you know their their jobs might be in danger um that's an interesting question. Uh, me and my co-founder uh, debate a lot during our team meetings. Uh, so I think that really helps like, you know, when other people see how we interact, uh, they kind of, you know, jump in as well. Um, and I'm also very, very transparent that like, um, I have like, uh, I think it's called like the filing cabinet um, uh, concept behind like my ideas and thoughts is that like, they're like, uh, pieces of paper and folders in a filing cabinet and at any point they can be swapped out um and so like uh, always like kind of be open to changing your mind um and things like that uh and you know just knowing that like uh, a players will have very good ideas um and they might not sound good at first um but if you kind of go a couple of level levels deeper um they they, they a lot of the times at this point, a lot of the members of our team, uh, our team know a lot more about what's going on day to day than I do. Um, and so I, I kind of constantly say based on what I know, which isn't very much in decreasing every passing day, um, then this is like, you know, what I think we should do. And then they kind of just argue back. Got mm. interesting. And, uh, you know, how, how do you how do you manage and communicate underperformance, especially when it comes to, you know, uh, a sales guy not meeting his targets or, you know, the product team not really talking about the gay product. How do you, uh, how do you manage that? Um, I mean, I'll caveat this with like, I don't think I'm very good at this. <laughs> um, it's definitely uh, something that um, I, I think, I think about a lot. Um, and uh, I think it's just about making it very crystal clear what your expectations are and where people are falling short. Um, as well as like kind of uh, I, I for at, at the scale we're at, like I've been able to serve in every single role that we have at the company, um, which is like advantageous in that like I know viscerally how hard or easy something is, and like you know I sometimes I if there's even data to like you know twelve months ago when I was doing it, and it's like okay you know uh, these were the kind of metrics that we were hitting back then, you know now we're not hitting them like why why are we kind of not doing that and then. Uh, you know, as long as uh, ideas come back that are reasonable and, you know, given a certain timeline, uh, we'll, we'll um, try to fix them. Uh, I, I think the much more kind of tricky uh, type of underperformance is like cultural misfits um, are hard to um, really put because it, it, to me, it definitely feels like a, an attack on character, even though like you know, a, a part of me inside knows that like people can definitely change. Um, it's just hard on our the time scale that startups operate on to yeah. change uh, in, in a relatively fast period of time, um, and so I, I guess like it, it's hard. It's definitely hard. Okay, okay, got it. And um, and how long would you would you give an underperformer? Uh, I mean, somebody who's not performing, would you you know give them a timeline like three months, six months, uh, move them out? Or, you know, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think like three months might even be a bit, uh, you know, too long. I think like by the time you're starting to have doubts, a lot of the times, unless it fixes itself very quickly, it's like already too late. Um, especially if multiple people start to have the doubts, um, then like, you know, you're starting to really walk up in line. 
Um, uh, but, you know, there, there's definitely, you know, we have experiences with um, people that, you know, seem uh, not, not too good in the beginning, especially when they're onboarding. Um, but it's a byproduct of them being shy or timid and not wanting to ask the right questions. Um, and so I would say like the onboarding process is uh, also something that we focus on. But then like once we see a level of performance um, and then it, especially if it drops off, then that, that's like relatively concerning and things like that. Um, but yeah, so I would say like uh, definitely give the give people like two, three, four months in the beginning when they're onboarding. Um, yeah. But, you know, once they're in steady state, uh, I think the modulations can be more closely monitored. Okay. Okay. Got it. Interesting. And, um, you know, interestingly, uh, before the call, you, you, you mentioned you don't come from a real estate experience and, uh, you know, I worked at, uh, at a, the marketplace called Oyo rooms where the founder said that, uh, most of the team should not be from real estate and they should, um, you know, I, I came out of SaaS background, but, uh, but, you know, was it, you know, uh, was it helpful not to come from an experience and have no biases with you? Or do you think, do you consciously also make, you know, decisions to hire people outside of the industry? Just want to take your thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say we um, make a concerted effort to hire people specifically from the industry. Okay. Um, I, I think generally, like, we definitely look for slope, right? So like people that are willing to have the horsepower to really push through certain things as well as just, they just learn incredibly fast. Yeah. Um, real estate isn't rocket science, um, <laughs> you know, it, it is very quirky in a lot of ways, um, but like I, uh, my, my kind of uh, preferred mechanism is leaning on people that I know are experienced in real estate and asking them a lot of questions. Uh, not necessarily hiring them, <laughs> but uh, just kind of peppering them with questions and letting them know like, oh, this is what I see day to day on the ground. And like, uh, is this something you've seen before? Is this like a novel phenomenon based on our type of product that we're offering? Um, and so I, I would say I, I lean much more on like uh, external experience versus hiring it and trying to kind of bring it in house um, when, when I know like you know, the, the people that we hire have the ability to learn really quickly. And then like the foundation of being and knowing how to operate in a startup, I think is much more important than, uh, you know, knowing the industry. Hmm. Interesting. Um, and, you know, I quickly want to do the top three. What's your favorite business book? Um, I've been reading a lot of, uh, you know, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. I, I don't really like read like specific uh, business books. Uh, there's like Michael Porter's business books. Um, the Andrew Chen book uh, that, that he recently released uh, is really interesting. I, I really like the um, uh, little anecdotes and like uh, quirks of like how, the secrets of like how these huge companies um, got founded. Uh, it just like humanizes them a lot. Um, but I think like, uh, I don't think there's not, you know, too much value necessarily out of there because, you know, um, but uh, it's just kind of fun to read. Yeah, the cold start problem, right? Yeah, the cold start problem. Okay, got it. We put down the show notes. And, you know, if, um, I know it's been just two years, but if you could go back in time when you started building Marble, what is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently? I would say, like, something that I've noticed about myself is that 
Um, I swerve too hard into advice uh, from people that I respect and that I like. So uh, to kind of give a concrete example of this, um, uh, YC uh, gives this, has this mantra of like, do things that don't scale. Um, and I actually sometimes think that we took that a bit too far. Uh, that would it, we'd actually be a bit further along if, you know, uh, we earlier we were just like, okay, we have a lot of learning here. Um, we don't need to keep scaling operationally. Let's just kind of understand our problems and build out the product and the engineering side to know how to solve these problems, you know, at scale and faster. Um, and so that's kind of this like tricky balance that I don't have a good answer to of like, when do we go one way or another? Um, but I would say like we biased, uh, like in hindsight, we biased very far into like pushing operationally, like a lot uh, further than really the team could handle. And it caused a lot of burnout and a lot of stress um, that doesn't necessarily seem like it needed to happen. Um, but then, you know, kind of the other side of that is like, maybe that's what's necessary to really find what's important to build. Um, so uh, in hindsight, uh, you know, hindsight's 2020, um, but seeing that um, uh, would definitely be something that would change, um, you know, if I were to do it over again. Got it. And, and do you have any favorite online tools, example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom? Um, we use Zoom a lot. Slack, Slack is starting to become a bit, you know, messy for me. Um, so, but I use a lot of, you know, uh, email. Superhuman uh, has been, you know, uh, uh, a godsend for my email inbox. Um, yeah, yeah. Got it. We'll we'll put that in the show notes. And uh, Daniel, what is the best way people can reach out to you and know more about Marvel? Um, if, you, if anyone's interested, you feel free to email me, uh, dli at rentmarble.com, um, or, you know, use our 24 seven support chat. Um, and we have special escalation paths, uh, to get to me. Um, but you know, email is definitely a lot more controllable, uh, these days for me. Got it. We'll, we'll put that in the show notes. And then thank you so much for taking your time and speaking to us. I really enjoyed my conversation with you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.